The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here, as always. Lauren joining me, as always. Um, Lauren, have you been watching the March March Madness by any oh, chance? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My Crazy brackets, game. My brackets are not doing that bad. Surprise. Oh, really? They're actually... Really? I'm not in like crazy big pools, but there's probably like hundred, couple hundred people in the two ones that I'm in, and I'm not sure. doing so bad. So I'm okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Just no big deal. Just a just a little flex. Just a little, just a little flex. Well, you're not. Well, I don't know if there are any perfect ba- brackets remaining. I haven't checked, but I'm assuming there aren't that many per- perfect brackets left. There was like 22 after day one, and there was still crazy upsets that happened. So. I don't know. We'll see, ladies and gentlemen. The, the the thing I wanted to bring up was the Michigan State versus Kansas State game, uh, which was just wild. Went to overtime. Marquise Noel, he had like 19 assists. The dude was just awesome. It was it was amazing. I was watching it as, as I was walking my dog, and people could just see me like yelling in the street. I was like, oh! I was, <laughs> I was going crazy. Uh, it's It's been a wild, wild March, you know, tournament. It always is. It always is uh, drama-filled and whatnot, and it's kind of winding down. Excited to see who ends up pulling it out. But ladies and gentlemen, it's March Mania also at Sports Interaction. The NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and of course, March Madness itself. So much going on, so much to talk about. It's bananas. Play Pinata Picks and Minute Madness, exclusive games you can't play anywhere else. Use the QR code on your screen that you see at the bottom of your screen right there to download or visit sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Now, speaking of playing responsibly or maybe not playing as responsibly as they should be on defense and other things. <laughs> Want to talk about the Dallas Mavericks, your mm-hmm. Dallas Mavericks, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just throw out some stuff at you. Okay. Go for it. And you <laughs> obviously <laughs> yet yesterday, uh, or at least for the people who are listening right now, two days ago, uh, it was the Warriors and Mavericks game that went down to the wire. Warriors ended up pulling it out by two. Those two points seem to be a point of contention, no pun intended, for Mark Cuban, who is uh, apparently going to be filing a protest about the the clip. Uh, yes, it's a viral clip by now. If you haven't seen it, I'm pretty surprised you're you're listening to an NBA podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, realistically, if you haven't see, seen it, why are you tune it in? But we appreciate you if you tune it in, regardless, because we're here to inform you, folks. Mm-hmm. So. Um, there was there was a moment, I believe, late in the third quarter, where Dallas thought that they were supposed to have the ball. The Warriors ended up having the ball, and Dallas lined up on the opposite side of the court, thinking that they were going to have the ball, and they didn't. The Warriors ended up scoring a wide open basket. Again, you can search it online, see the footage for yourself. Maybe our producer Drew, if we're nice enough, we can, he can get it to smack dab, throw it on here for us. But um, that's what happened. They lost by two points. Mark Cuban was not the least bit happy. Um, I guess before we get into the whole, like everything that's mm-hmm. happened with the Dallas Mavericks post All Star break, 
How do you feel about that situation? The whole protest thing, the game that went down, um, and obviously how important it was. Now the the Mavericks, the Warriors have the tiebreaker over you guys right. when it comes to that six seed battle. So puts you guys in a tough position playoff wise as well. So I guess how how did that game go down from your opinion? Yeah, I mean going into the game, I. I, there just hasn't been a whole lot of confidence around this team. That, to me, is just kind of the... I mean, yeah, you got Luka, you got Kyrie. Sometimes they're both playing together, and sometimes it's really fun right. to watch. But even that being said, they can each go off for 30-plus, and they still don't win games because they can't yeah. play any defense and they can't rebound the basketball, which are two very basic things you need to be able to do. And when you're going against a Warriors team that is prone to high-volume turnovers over and over again, I mean... You'd like to, <laughs> Jesus! Oh my lord! Winston, Winston so was not happy about, about the Mavericks' performance. Either. He's not having it. He is not having it. Um, but yeah, you'd you'd like to think that hey, okay, you, you're going against a team that's prone to make a lot of, of turnovers. Maybe yep. we can maximize off of that. And even with no Kyrie, and so you always think that you have somewhat of a chance especially with the Warriors' struggles. But again, there just wasn't a whole lot of confidence. And so with that situation specifically. And protesting calls like that. Personally, I mean, I guess go for it, but I don't ever really, this is my personal opinion. Anytime a, a call gets protested like that, I can't help but ask, okay, well, if it was a, if it ended up being like a six point loss or an eight point loss, would you still right. be, you know? And so to me, because of that, I can't really put a whole lot of weight into it, like the specific protesting the whole situation is still very fuzzy about what was communicated to who from the officials and why it wasn't really addressed after the fact even in the game like there was a there's still a lot of confusion about what happened but that obviously wasn't the deciding play of the game I think it'd be a much bigger thing if it were but it wasn't it wasn't even in the fourth quarter and so yeah the, the protests, I mean, it is what it is. I'm interested to hear. It's a little bit desperate. Yeah, it's right? desperate. That's a good word for it. Because it's like, okay, you can try. And, and I'm curious to hear what they say. Because I do think that the officials mishandled the situation. But it's right. not what decided the game. The Mavericks are really struggling. And I don't know that it's going to get much better. And that's it right. certainly didn't help that loss. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Because I feel like the officials have become such a talking point late in this season. And I think that happens when there are, one, so many close games and so many games with big implications. Um, you know, we kind of had this podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about the the state of the officiating that is happening in the NBA right now, how it's a bit of a mess. Um, you know, obviously the NBA had this influx of new referees that came in a couple of years ago with a bunch of referees retiring. So there's, there is like the this this kind of changing of the guard and the referees, if you will. Uh, I don't want to talk about refs. I want to talk about the Dallas Mavericks because that is the issue at hand. I feel like, you know, the point of contention, the filing for a protest, that seems a little bit desperate to me. Um, And there are bigger issues ahead for the Dallas Mavericks. You mentioned it. uh, They bleed points on defense. Uh, They've been bleeding pretty badly since post-All-Star break. They're 5-8 and since post-All-Star break. They have the 7th best offense and the 24th best defense which is very bad it's it's even worse than the Sacramento Kings in that stretch still still though the Luka Kyrie pairing is good when it's on the court they're plus 6.7 when they're on the court together 122.6 offensive rating but also 115 defensive rating which is would be again bottom 10 defense for sure Um, they 
have looked good together when they have played. Obviously, they've they've kind of missed in, in time here and there, so they haven't had too much time together. But Luka and Kyrie have looked good offensively. The defense is always going to be a question when you have a backcourt like that. Um, when it comes to Jason Kidd, which I know is a very interesting point of contention for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been the comments, you know, he had the comments about, oh, we are not here to play defense. We're here to outscore people. This is what the point of the game is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still not starting Christian Wood. Although I will say, I will say, the Christian Wood, Kyrie, Luka minutes haven't been good. There no. haven't been a lot. 23 minutes. They are a minus 57 <laughs> in those 23 minutes, mm-hmm. which is god awful. Like, it's like, how do you even do that in 23 minutes? That's impressive in its own way. Right. So... I, I, I'm I'm curious to see what your read is on all of that. On yeah. Jason Kidd moving forward, on Christian Wood moving forward, how this team can potentially muster up some kind of formidable defense. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, what where do where do you sit on the on that side when it comes to J Kidd? When it so a, a lot of a lot of things to pick apart there. I think you gotta start yeah. with Kyrie and Luca and I hate to even bring him up, but Jeff Van Gundy said on the broadcast last night that the Mavericks MO right now is to just go out there and beat you with their offense. Everyone knows that there's no secret there. And I think if you're a Mavs fan or or you're following the Mavs or whatever, when you look and you, you had the initial questions of, okay, Kyrie likes to play with pace. Kyrie can play off ball. Can these two work together? We've, I mean, small sample size, but they do look good together. And so knowing that you've got those two and that it can work in terms of the offensive production and it's really about kind of filling in the pieces around for mm-hmm. the future, if that's the the mindset you're operating under, which I think they have no choice but to do that. Um, I do think that you're optimistic with having those two at the the nucleus of your team. Christian Wood kind of taking the next step out at the beginning of the season, playing really well with Luca, their personalities even seem to go really well. They they complemented each other a lot. Their play styles, their personalities, everything. But it just doesn't seem like it's necessarily a good fit. And personally, I do think that that falls on Jason Kidd for not being able to maximize him in whatever right. that looks like. I know there were conversations about him in that sixth man of the year conversation for a little while. But to me, that was really just a consequence of a starter quality player in bench role minutes. It wasn't necessarily, Mm -hmm. and that's not a knock on him. It's really a knock on Jason Kidd not making the adjustment. And so it's, it's putting him in a position to succeed, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think on, I think on one hand, it's like, okay, well, if you had a better big or somebody that maybe complimented Luca in the starting lineup, then yeah, maybe Mm -hmm. that would be a good, a good role for him to kind of stagger and come off the bench and just dominate opposing bench bigs. I could see the logic there, but we don't have more talented bigs than Christian Wood. Um, and, and you could make an argument with Maxi and the defensive impact, especially with the Kyrie Luca Christian Wood minutes for sure. But the, the position that they find themselves in right now, they're so shorthanded in terms of big rotation. They have guys, they have bodies, but it just doesn't work. And so for Jason Kidd, right. you continue to look at him and say, okay, well, what are you going to do? You got to switch something up. You got to do something because you can't keep giving up this many points, this many rebounds, uncontested shot. Like it's just, it's very bad to watch. And they just don't seem that interested in trying to switch something up. And so for Jason Kidd, what does that mean for his future? I think these next these final nine games are really going to determine that. I, I do believe if they find themselves in a play-in game, both Kyrie and Luca will 
find will their ways uh, onto that court, and and I yeah. would bet money that they come out of the play in game, but or out of the play in. But I think right now it's kind of I don't want to say do or die for Jason Kidd. That's that's pretty, you know, dramatic. But also given the given the relationship him and Kyrie have, that's I'm, also I'm, another big part I'm of it. Curious, yeah, I'm curious what. How how, what, how stable is the ground J-Kid walks on right now? Because, right. you know, from your perspective, I think all of the concerns you just mentioned are completely valid. Absolutely. I think even from, from the remarks and, and comments he's made throughout the season, you sort of question. It's like, uh, I don't know if he kind of gets what the idea right. of this team should be. But at the same time, there's obviously the Kyrie connection. Kyrie's free agency this summer is going to be very important. Yep. That's gonna be a point of contention if right. you end up losing J Kid, who is a guy that Kyrie idolized when he grew up. You know, this is Absolutely. it's a it's a big part of their pitch to him. It's sure. like, hey, we have J Kid. So I'm I'm curious how that plays out. Yeah. You know? And and he does have I believe it's two years after this season on his deal. And so right. that's why I, I, I hesitate to say do or die because in my mind, even though they're middle of the pack and they're in the same conversation record-wise as a lot of other big-name teams, if it, on a night-to-night basis watching this team, it's awful. It's, it's truly mm-hmm. so awful to watch them, and you can't help but fault Jason Kidd for the lack of movement, the lack of adjustments, all of that. And so it's very frustrating, but it's also, like you mentioned with the Kyrie, of it all it's kind of they're now playing this okay chicken or the egg thing do we want to go into another season with a coach where we kind of know that's a formula that's probably not going to work even right or do we say okay well we at least need to keep him for another year until we can get Kyrie to dot that line or Mm -hmm. is that really pushing your bet with Luca again maybe writing off another season I don't want to I don't want to doom you know doom and gloom that but these are all very real questions that I think they need to be asking themselves um, and I, 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 I will say that I, if I had to guess with Mark Cuban and, and just knowing what I know about him, his priority number one will be keeping Kyrie. And if that means keeping Jason Kidd and gives him even, you could say, an excuse to keep one of his guys around, I think he's going to go f- just fully commit to that. Make sure right. they bring Kyrie back if they can and if he's interested in, in signing that extension. Um, we'll see. But right now... Uh, I if I'm Luca, like I just I I can't envision him being too pleased with the coaching, the play calls. Like you can see it, you can see it, and so right. it's it's going to be a rough end of the season. Um, my biggest fear right now, I think, is for them to either make the playoffs or get in the play in, make get out of the play in, and then go into the first round, and then you kind of have these pretty even matchups across all throughout the first round. And then they come out and go on a little bit of a run just because they're so talented. That is my biggest fear because and then, then they're going to say, we, we did hope. it. We knew it. We were right. <laughs> we were right this whole time. And that's what the I can't false have. Hope. I cannot have hope. that. So yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. So it's the false hope. It's, it's what the Hawks with the exactly. Eastern Conference Finals. I feel like sometimes that is the worst thing for a team it is. is when they get this false irrational confidence that they are actually further along than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously the Hawks is like a very prevalent situation where you saw them make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, probably got an easy side of the bracket and they end up, you know, now it's like, oh, maybe the Hawks are contenders <laughs> next year. It's like, right. no, that is not the actual way that works. Mm-hmm. Um Dallas right now, 36 and 37. Uh, they're a half a game back from seven. They're a game and a half back from six. They, you know, all the tiebreakers and whatnot, if you will. I don't imagine them catching Golden State or the Clippers. I don't think so. 
maybe maybe you know you have more intel on that in terms of their strength of schedule but i, I think they end up being in that seven eight spot depending um and yeah. that makes me wonder i do agree with you that they will end up being a playoff team i think when it goes when it comes to the play-in it's a one game elimination win and you make it having the best player on the court is always going to help you and having luca and Kyrie. That's enough. The offense will carry you for one game. You will be able to win that one game. They'll be a playoff team. I think that. Yeah. But then you go and look at their potential matchups in the first round, and you start to question, okay, can they beat these teams? When it comes to the Memphis Grizzlies, when it comes to the Sacramento Kings, maybe even the Phoenix Suns, who knows, depending on how things shake out. But, I, I again, I kind of doubt the Suns because it would, it would take some wild maneuvering for that to happen. Right. It's most likely going to be either the Memphis Grizzlies or the Sacramento Kings. In both of those series, Dallas has the best player. You could argue that Dallas might have the second best player. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Depending on how you how high you are on John Morant, De'Aaron Fox, and you know, DeMontis Sabonis and his all-NBA season. Right. But the, the question I have for you is, matchup-wise, mm-hmm. against those two teams, do you feel confident going <laughs> in to those series? Confident? It's really difficult for me to use the word confident with this team right now, just mm-hmm. because there are times when they throw out. They can they'll th- obviously you got Josh Green and you have Reggie Bullock who and and even Maxi who play consistently strong defensive minutes, but then yeah. you've got guys like Frank Nilakina and even Markeith Morris who Markeith to a lesser degree, but they can throw out different looks to try and just throw different things at you um, to try and at least stay subpar. And I mean subpar defensively. <laughs> it's too enough to where your offense is then enough to to get you to get you there. And so, right. as crazy as it sounds, Memphis and Sacramento, like those are the two teams I think Dallas would feel worse about because of Sabonis, because of Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, that makes things very very difficult for them because those two guys can pretty much do everything. And so, and, yeah. and, and the same goes for Jokic. Um, but as, as weird as it sounds, I, I almost think Dallas would match up better with Denver than they would with Memphis and Sacramento, really just given the fact that Memphis and Sacramento play with a lot more pace. Uh, they, not that they move the ball more than Denver, but I just personnel, like personnel wise, I don't, I think the matchup, I'm not going to say that I don't think that Dallas could come out of that series. I think just because of the talent, it's hard for me to count them out of any series. It really is. Right. Uh, but the defense, the rim protection, like Jaron Jackson, much more so than Sabonis, just obliterates the Mavericks' interior. And that's that's really, I mean, you could be shooting very poorly from three, even from the free throw line, and it probably won't matter because the points in the paint battle we've seen at night in and night out is just abysmal for the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. And so... That's why I have more fear out of two guys like DeMontis Sabonis and Jaron Jackson Jr. more than even someone like Jokic because you can specifically plan for Jokic, but the pace and the movement and the the paint presence of someone like a Jaron Jackson Jr. on the defensive side, it's just very difficult for the Mavs. Right, right. Curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very curious. I think the, the Kings are an interesting matchup because both of those teams are not the best defensive teams. Nope. But they are also very good offensively. 
it would be back and forth. I think it would be a lot of fun to watch mm-hmm. that series. Um, you know, obviously the Mavericks have the best player in that series too, so that always factors into things. But I, I don't know. We'll see. The state of the Mavericks, it's very interesting. Uh, not to be all, not to be doom and gloom. I actually want to be kind of positive. Is mm-hmm. like, look, the the future could look bright. You oh know, yeah, I, I'm I'm a fan of Jaden Hardy. I think he's he's been awesome. Uh, obviously, we've talked about Josh Crane on this podcast before. The the picks open up a little bit more flexibility wise this summer. You ink Kyrie to a deal. You can maybe you know package that to get a third guy, and yep. now you have some stuff cooking. I I I don't necessarily hate it. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily hate the future outlook when it comes to the Mavericks. But this season, yeah, it seems like it's it's a little bit of a a step back, if yes, you will, definitely, just to figure things out. Uh, also sticking with the Western Conference, actually, we're going to go through a couple of Western Conference injuries, returns, uh, just some things that are probably going to shake out over the next two weeks of the season. The first thing, Paul George, he sustained an injury. I believe it was against the Oklahoma City Thunder. That was the game I was watching. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was not a nice injury to watch. Mm-hmm. They showed the replay consistently, which I hate, I hate about TV broadcasts. I really, I, I mean, I understand it because they're trying to show what happened maybe for people, the, the broadcast to commentate on it. But, man, the injury was awful. It, it looked really, really bad. Luckily, though, it's not a tear. Uh, his knee literally bent backwards, which it, it, it was, all, again, it was disgusting to watch. Honestly, I really feel bad. It's tough because Paul George has been at the center of two pretty gruesome injuries now. Um, luckily, though, this one will not be as bad as the, the injury that he sustained uh, with Team USA. He's going to be out for a two to three week w- window, apparently, but he will be reevaluated and his mobility will be tested in two to three weeks. From there, they'll figure out how he feels. But According to Andrew Grief, Grief, I believe that's how you say his name, was told a return by George for a first round series might be overly optimistic, which means he's probably not playing in the first round. And right now, as it stands, if this playoff started tomorrow, they end up facing the Phoenix Suns, which is going to be an awesome series if that ends up happening. If it's the Suns versus the Clippers, Kawhi versus KD, Booker. You know, that's that would be a lot of fun, mm-hmm. but it would be much more of a battle if Paul George ends up playing. Uh, obviously, Clippers and the Suns, they played in the Western Conference Finals, I believe, in 2021. That was the year the Suns ended up going to the finals. Paul George was incredible in that series. That was without Kawhi. So it's interesting now that it might be Kawhi without PG facing off against the Suns. And to me, man... It just it it it's like the Clippers they can't catch a break. Mm-mm. It just feels like they are constantly in this limbo of oh we're gonna get this guy back and oh now that we have this guy back okay well this guy's actually resting now and oh we're just preparing for the playoffs and oh once we get to the playoffs oh no Kawhi Leonard is injured and then no we, we get to the playoffs and and then oh Paul George is injured. It just feels like. Every time this team builds up a little bit of momentum, they look a little bit better. Kawhi has been absolutely ridiculous mm-hmm. in 2023. Since the calendar turned, that man is balling out. He looks probably as good as he ever has in a Clippers uniform. Paul George has had a pretty good season. Some inexplicable turnovers, although that's that's neither here nor there. Not the conversation we're having right now. The Clippers, to me, seem a little lost in the wind. And it's it's sad because we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I feel like they have an immense amount of pressure on them. Yeah. Uh, so I just, it's tough 
to be able to look at this Clippers team, the outlook, Kawhi in his mid-30s, Paul George in his mid-30s, PG might miss the first-round series, and that's it. Another playoff exit. Disappointing playoff exit at the hands of the Phoenix Suns, which I think would happen if PG ends up not playing. Mm-hmm. So, it's tough. I, that's all I got to say on that. It's just tough. It's it's really like, as a basketball fan, you you... It's tough that you can't appreciate what this Clippers team, you know, at full strength is supposed to be. Right. And I think that's the most unfortunate thing about it is because you've got this formula of these 6-7 to 6-9, just versatile, both ends of the floor. Like this formula that they have put together and crafted for so long and you've got Kawhi playing at this level. Um, Mm -hmm. PG's still very capable of playing at a high level. Um, and it just, like like you mentioned, they just cannot all seem to be clicking all at once for a consistent period of time. And yeah. I, I mean, not to go down a whole side note, I'm very curious as to if this specific situation, along with maybe a handful of other situations, potentially comes into a later conversation of kind of adjusting the season, whether it be the games or, or however that conversation ends up evolving one day, whenever that is. But it's really unfortunate because as a fan of the NBA, this team... The talent, I mean, we've talked about what they did at the trade deadline, what they've done at previous trade deadlines. They do exactly what you were supposed to do in terms of adding good players, not giving up a whole lot, maybe even giving up future assets to win now, to go all in. They've paid the money. They do exactly what you're supposed to do, and they can't, they just can't show up every year. Like, and it's, it's unfortunate. And so, I'm curious to see what the NBA thinks about this situation because I'm sure they're always monitoring these things and having conversations about just making the product of the league better. Uh, but it's really, really unfortunate. Uh, and I don't know. I, I hope. I'm I, honestly, I was shocked. PG's injury was the the timetable was as short as it was. I'm not saying that it's short. Yeah. but It was. I didn't like that. It was. It looked way to, worse. It, no, it, it looked. It looked way like worse. It looked like he was out for the season and potentially a too. chunk of la- of next season. Next That's season. what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There is a chance that the Clippers can end up catching a little bit of a break here because mm-hmm. if they slide in the standings, let's say they end up as the sixth seed. And now, okay, you're looking at a, a matchup against the Kings or the Grizzlies. And you're like, okay, with Kawhi. We have a cast of great rotation players, great role players that we can play with them. Maybe, maybe we can beat the Kings. In fact, I think I would, I would be pretty confident in saying that the the Clippers with Kawhi and what he has done. I mean, shit. Sorry, I didn't mean to curse there, but <laughs> shit. Like, look, like the Kawhi did that to the Mavericks. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, and he did. and like he single handedly brought that team and willed that team to a a win in a playoff series. I think he can do a very similar thing against the Kings. I don't think he can do that against the Suns. The Suns are just too mm-hmm. much firepower, especially if Durant is, is back. We don't know that yet, but I, 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 I think there's a chance the Clippers can still be okay here if they can yeah. drop to six keep six and then now you're looking at okay we're facing sacramento we're facing memphis we've got Kawhi. we have the best player in the series we feel confident let's roll um so there is not to be i don't want to be doom and gloom let's end it on a positive note paul george is out but hey it's not the end of the world for the clippers they can still get out of this on the other side of this i mentioned them a little bit earlier john morant he returned um, against the Houston Rockets earlier this week after you know an, an eight-game suspension, five of that retroactively. He had 17, five, and four, two steals, a block. He looked good. He had a really, really nasty dunk. 
looked like his regular old self. Um, maybe he he kind of needed to get the the wings back a little bit cardio wise. Probably get that in in rhythm. But look, there's two weeks left in the regular season. It's more than enough time for for Jaw to kind of get back to where he can be. Um, and he looked pretty good out the gate. I don't think there was an, an issue there. The main question here is like they were looking at at least with Jaw, there was this assumption that he was going to miss the regular season or at the very least miss the entire season. I mean, there was a potential that he'd miss the entire season. Now he's not. The the Grizzlies, um, you know, they've been the second best team in the Western Conference all season. They've been very, very good when Jaw is playing. They have a, a very solid trio of players and then some supporting players that are good, but they still won't have Brandon Clark for the rest of the season. Dylan Brooks is still racking up technical fouls. I'm curious if this team has enough to to push it and and make a, a big run in the West playoffs this year because now they're nearly at full strength. I know Brandon Clark is a big part of what they do. They're going to miss him. Steven Adams also, I forgot to mention, a huge question mark. He obviously had the the knee injections that he recently did, and he's out indefinitely. And I think those two guys are going to play a huge part in what this Grizzlies team looks like. But with Jaw back, are you at least a little bit more confident in the Grizzlies' ability to, one, even win a first-round series, a second-round series, potentially make it to the to the Western Conference Finals? Definitely, definitely. I think getting Jaw back and getting Jaw back at the time that you did, a couple games left, kind of like you said, get get your wings back, get the cardio in, kind of get things back before you're, before it's really game time. And, and as they always say, every possession matters. Um, I think it's, if you're a Grizzlies fan, it's, it's good timing for you. And... You have no reason, no reason to not be as confident as you have been since probably the beginning of what last season when I think it all started or whenever that was. Right. But I, I, I would be confident. I think we've seen all year long how close the Western Conference is, and if you're the Grizzlies, you're at the top. You've got your guy coming back. Jaron has mm-hmm. continued to be Jaron. You've even got guys like David Roddy stepping up and, and impressing Santiago Aldama. Like you've got many guys that can step up. And kind of fill those gaps of, I mean, you don't have a, a Steven Adams, like a similar player to that, but having you can adjust the formula a little bit to fill those gaps. And I think that the yeah. roster is well equipped to do so. I think they're a good matchup against, I mean, talent wise, defense wise, pace wise. I mean, they've they're a good matchup against a lot of teams. So I absolutely, if I'm if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies, I'm feeling confident for sure. My only question is a team that can slow them down in the playoffs. So if there's a team that can grind them to a halt force them to play a lot of half-court offense. Um, and without Steven Adams, their half-court offense has been really, really bad. It's been really tough to watch. I am curious to see, let's say, a team like the Clippers, who doesn't play at a very high, blistering pace. Or the Suns, who who do play with a certain amount of pace, but they can also beat you down in a half-court. They can slow the game down on you. I think those type of teams are a hard matchup for the Grizzlies. Uh, and I think that's... That's the question I have is, okay, when things slow down, when things are grinding to a halt and you have to generate points, you have to generate buckets, shout out to Winston, uh, there is a question of like, how does this team look in clutch situations? How does this team generate enough baskets when it means and when it matters? So that's the question I have with the, with the Grizzlies moving forward. And obviously, Jaw is a huge part of that equation. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. It's good to have him back, though. Uh, another guy coming back. Western Conference as well. Carl Anthony Towns, who returned against the Atlanta Hawks, dropped 22-4-3, had two steals in 26 minutes, hit clutch shots. Um, Ant is still out indefinitely, so we don't know when he's coming back. 
it apparently the report is that he's day to day. So there is, you know, more optimism that he returns. And now the Timberwolves are back to full strength. Uh, you know, obviously Cat, Gobert, Anthony Edwards. They now have Mike Conley in the fold as well. Um, that's going to be interesting for your Mavericks who are fighting for playoff and play in positioning with them. Because I think the Timberwolves are in a position where they can kind of rise up here a little bit. Do you feel the same? Uh, I, I do think it's possible for them. I think getting Cat back and, and him having a performance like that is a really good sign for them. Personally, I had my doubts on if he would kind of come back and, and step right in and mm-hmm. just how things would look because I have many questions with the Timber, Timberwolves. Excuse me. Um, so, I mean, I could see them rising up. I, I'll be interested to see how they how they kind of finish the season out. I will say, like, personally, I do think that they're a team that I probably feel lower comfortable with yeah yeah like i if i I mean from a mouse perspective well that's another conversation but uh (laughs) i i just don't feel a whole lot of confidence in the formula that they're putting out there they could prove me wrong uh but i think that there are other teams kind of in that range that are um i mean we just got done talking about the clippers and even with the paul george injury i still feel like the formula that they have the coaching the Kawhi's play like i feel i have more confidence in them than i do the timberwolves and so um i'm curious to see how these final games go because uh i don't have the strength of schedule for these this this last little bit but i know the mavs have a back-to-back against the hornets they have a game against the spurs so i'm curious to see a team like the timberwolves getting a guy back like carl anthony towns and seeing what if their schedule is too tough down to, to finish out um, if they're kind of set up for success to end the season and, and end on a good note going into the, the playoffs or if they kind of got a tough road to, to wrap things up while bringing yeah. Carl back. That's a tough, that's a tough hurdle. It's always funny. We, we've talked about pretty much every playing team here and OKC just quietly, you know, just trudging along, just doing its thing, mm-hmm. playing playing very good basketball, solid defense. SGA is awesome. Giddy, Jalen Williams, Williams, you know, obviously yeah. climb, climbing up the rookie ladders. It's just like they've been so solidly good all year. That, that team is terrifying to think of future-wise. Um, Zion Williamson, he is going to be reevaluated. I can't speak for some <laughs> reason. Uh, reevaluated in two weeks. The Pelicans, they just beat the Hornets tonight, so they move up a little bit. They've won three in a row. Brandon Ingram had a triple-double tonight, which was awesome to watch. They're still in the playing mix, and with Zion coming back, or, or sorry, not coming back, being reevaluated in two weeks, there's, I guess, some hope there that he can maybe play in the playing games, maybe make them a playoff team. I, I would be interested to see that. I mean, look, Zion, when the Pelicans were at their peak in November and December, they were, you know, the first seed in the it's Western crazy. Conference. Zion was incredible. It is crazy the roller coaster this team has been on, Lauren. I mean, to go from, okay, Brandon Ingram's hurt. Zion is playing MVP basketball. They look great. Then Zion gets hurt. Brandon Ingram comes back. He doesn't look like himself. The Pelicans struggle deeply. They are, there's a bunch of rotation issues. Jonas Valanciunas isn't getting the ball enough. Pelicans Twitter, I understand your your grief there. And, and you know, now they're starting to figure things out a little bit more. They're, they're still in the playing hunt. Question is, though, how, how, like, do you really feel confident in the fact that, okay, just throw Zion in a game and they have to figure out all these moving parts in a playing game when B.I. and Zion haven't played that much together this season? In mm-hmm. fact, in general, Zion and B.I., through their time together, haven't been on the court that much together. Right. So to be able to, like, have all that craziness, it's similar 
to the Timberwolves situation where Cat and Gobert didn't look good together in the time that they played together at the start of the season and they haven't had a lot of time to adjust to figure things out. Now, luckily for the Timberwolves, Cat's here for the next two weeks and they can figure that out going into the plan. But for the Pelicans, it's like you're just throwing them into the wild. And if they end up making the plan, now you're in the situation where it's like, okay, how does this look? What mm-hmm. is the, you know? Yeah, I'm curious to see how all in they go because they're they're right there. They are right there. It's being in that play-in game and you've got a lot of talent. You've got the the coaching, the defense. I mean, they're right there. But we continue to see the Zion big question marks. And and the reason I'm curious to see how all in they go is because I, I do think it's quite the spectrum. On one hand, I not I, I'm not saying that I think that they will, would shut Zion down and just call it a year and call it a wrap. I, I'm not saying that. Right. But I do think that there is a conversation that's being had at some level uh, within the organization saying, okay, well, if there was a point in time during this year where we were at the top and we can play, we can battle with the best of them. So why not go full speed ahead, bring Zion back, let's just go for it. And we feel confident going up one step at a time through the plan and we feel confident from there on and let's see how far this thing can go. And then I see on the other hand, the preventative how many more times do we have to see Zion? Is it just better to get to the offseason, focus on the preventative of it all, and moving forward into the next season, coming out strong and going from there? Um, so I do think that there's those are very, very different outcomes for them. And luckily, I think they are in a good position that moving forward, they're going to be just fine. Uh, but this season, this season has just been weird for so, so many reasons. And and for the Incredibly. Pelicans, yeah. I mean, you mentioned it, the roller coaster ride for them. So um, I do think the more likely option for them is not to, I don't want to say shut it down or call it quits or anything like that. That's not, that's not what it is. But I do think that kind of maybe looking forward uh, might be in their best interest. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll see what happens, folks. We just talked about a bunch of play in playoff type teams. Uh, the race is still wide open. I mean, in the Western conference, you have the Pelicans who are are technically tied for 10th right now although the Lakers have the the you know advantage there they are only two and a half games back of fifth <laughs> two and a half games back of fifth they're actually three games back of fourth in the East in the Western Conference and they are 11th which is just crazy to think about the West is such a headache in terms of Literally every single day, the standings are changing. They're flip-flopping. OKC and the Clippers are about to play right now, and that's going to have an impact on the standings and how that looks. Obviously, it's very important for your Dallas Mavericks. Um, Lauren, we're going to talk about pressure. You know, pressure makes diamonds, as they say. But also, there is a lot of pressure on some of these NBA teams going into the playoffs. There's, There's tons of pressure around some of these teams and maybe enough pressure for something to burst. So, applying pressure, word to J. Cole, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there is, I feel like there's more pressure, maybe maybe this is just crazy to think about, but with it being so tight up top, at the top of the Eastern Conference, at the top of the Western Conference, even all through the Western Conference, I feel like there's an immense amount of pressure for this season to be the season for one of these teams. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of pressure on a lot of teams. I, I mean, going down the standings, if you look at, okay, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, do they have a ton of pressure? 
I don't necessarily think so. I think they have Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> I, I think they have Chris Middleton. I mean, obviously, there's some contract stuff that's going to be dealt with. But for the most part, I think that team is pretty comfortably good for the next couple of seasons. We've talked about the age, the age factor there. I don't think that's that much of a pressure point for them to think, oh, we're completely doomed if we don't win an NBA championship this season. Mm-hmm. Um, the Boston Celtics, however, I think there is a bit of pressure there. Yeah, I think especially with Jalen Brown's comments, there's even more pressure now. And right. the way that they've struggled in the last month or so, they haven't looked the greatest, um, adds more pressure. And the fact that Jason Tatum has struggled in clutch. Obviously, there was that mention in the J.J. Redick podcast of like how inefficient he is in clutch time shooting. And I think there is a lot of pressure on the Celtics. I want to say the team I have, like, th- this this team has the most amount of pressure is this next team in the Eastern Conference. And that's the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they have the most pressure in the entire NBA playoff picture. The reason I say that is because Joel Embiid, He's playing out of his mind again. MVP caliber season. Probably going to end up winning the MVP the way it's looking. The way the dialogue is is moving. James Harden has played incredible as a second fiddle. Uh, I mean, the, the pairing of them has looked great. This is the best supporting cast Joel Embiid has ever had. And there is pressure for him and Harden to both show up in the playoffs mm-hmm. quite simply to just be able to do the things they've done in the regular season year in year out but do it in the playoffs when mm-hmm. it matters uh and on top of that obviously there's tons of pressure with with the Sixers organization the fans doc rivers i mean you name it there's a ton of pressure points from the perspective of the sixers so i think if we're looking at the eastern conference they have the most pressure. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would definitely agree in the Eastern Conference. They are the ones that have the most pressure. I agree with what you said about the the top two teams, especially with the Celtics. While there are factors there, you can really go down the list with Philadelphia, especially looking at James Harden's playoff history, Embiid's, even just Embiid's durability and having the table set in terms of having the players, the supporting cast. I mean, Tyrese Maxey. Like, you've got everybody that... You've got everybody that... You, Everything that you need, everything that you need, the talent is there. You have the faith and the talent of your top two guys to go to bat with any team in the East. Um, So because of that, I absolutely think that there is an immense amount of pressure. Um, And I'm, I'm curious to see how that, how that, how that, how the rotation changes, how the, the, the play calling, the shot selection, what changes come playoff time for that team. Um, and if it works, because there have been not not just with the 76ers specifically, but across the league, we've seen it the game change and it just not work. And so um, I don't necessarily expect that to be the case with the 76ers, but I am curious to see how they handle the pressure, how they handle the talk um, and just how how if they can get it done and, and what right. they what and they that because is it would you say it's fair that it's championship or bust for them? I would say at the very least, at the very least, it's conference finals or bust with them. Okay, that's Uh, fair. Like, I think think if they make it to the conference finals, they push Milwaukee to six or seven or Boston to six or seven, depending on how things shake out. I don't know how how it will shake out because also that's another factor into this (laughs) is like between those three teams, it could change the order, right? Right. Court advantage, all that stuff. I think if they give a valiant effort 
uh, Harden and Embiid do their thing. They push them. Eastern Conference Finals, they get there for the first time since 2001. They are really, really, uh, you know, I mean, man, even saying that, that That's shows wild. you how much pressure they're under. Yeah, if they make it to the finals, I think, I honestly think if, if the Sixers make it to the finals, you call that season a success regardless of if they end up winning the NBA championship. And I think if the Sixers do end up making it to the finals, they've already beat the hard competition. Like, I really do I think agree with that. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I, so so to your to your point and to your question, I think it would be Eastern Conference finals or bust yep. for this team. And look, the James Harden rumors have been lingering. They've been around us, you know, like the Tweety Bird thing in Looney Tunes. <laughs> it's like it's like we've heard of it so many times of, of he might go back to Houston. And there's there's this rumor of him wanting to go back because it's his home. And maybe that is applying a certain amount of pressure on the Sixers front office to pay up mm-hmm. because he took a short term contract in order for them to pay that type of money to him. And he has delivered this season. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think, I, I don't think there's as much credence to the Harden to Rockets thing as, as people are saying, but at the same time, it is, it is pressure mm-hmm. that is added pressure because you don't know what's next. And if Harden's out, if Doc Rivers is out, now you're asking the question, okay, so is Embiid next? And then that, th- then, then that, that, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, that, that is, that is the panic button yeah, right that's there. An you're smashing of, the panic. Oof. It's an unraveling. The process is over. Everything is done. You start from scratch. It's done. That is the implications of the Sixers losing in the first round, losing in the second round even. I think genuinely there are some, if they don't make it to the conference finals, there are going to be a lot of questions yeah. about what this team can be moving forward. So, yeah. I would say in the East, it is it is the Philadelphia 76ers. But, you know, on a side note, I do think there is a little bit of pressure on the Miami Heat. Uh, yeah. Uh, although- I like the honorable mention for the Heat uh, because yeah. I, I think that that one is getting sl- maybe sliding under the rug for a lot of people just because everybody's eyes are on Milwaukee, Philly, and Boston. Miami, and Miami hasn't been good this year, Miami right? They hasn't, haven't, yeah, yeah, they haven't been good. The Kyle Lowry situation, the lack of draft capital to really go out and make moves, they're yep. in a sticky situation. And I think that that is something that could be coming up real quick in terms of conversations in the near future of, okay, we got to shake something up or somebody's got yeah. to go. Who that will be, we'll see. But um, yeah. that's, that's uh, definitely one to keep an eye on. And Jimmy has had some comments this year that has made me intrigued at the very oh, yeah. least of the idea of like, oh, maybe there is some dissatisfaction in what's happening in Miami. And look, I don't think there is as much pressure on them because uh, it, it just feels like th- this is not their season. They haven't had a very good season. It's been back and forth, flip-flopping. They haven't been that healthy either. So I don't know. They always have a puncher's chance in any playoff series because of Jimmy Butler, because of the fact that they have the top-tier talent in Bam Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero. It's always interesting, even in the regular season, when they end up facing the the Clippers or the—sorry, not the Clippers, the Celtics or the Bucks. They they have a chance. They have a puncher's chance all the time. So it will be interesting. Western Conference is maybe a little bit more open of a discussion here Mm -hmm. in terms of pressure. Um, I think, you know, one of the teams we mentioned probably at the top of the show— should be the team, uh, and that's the Clippers. I imagine that's probably what you you thought of. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'll you know what yeah. I'll let you do the Clippers spiel. I have another team in mind though. Yeah, so go ahead. I think I'm, personally, I got about 
three, maybe even four <laughs> teams that there's some pressure. But I think the Clippers yeah. is a big one, really just given the age and the injury history. And I, I yep. said it before, it is incredibly unfortunate what we've seen happen to them. Uh, but I think you look around at, I mean, on one hand, we talk about uh, New Orleans and everything that they've struggled with, but because they're so young, it's a completely different conversation than what we're having with the Clippers. And obviously they haven't Absolutely. had as many years together, uh, the Pelicans, and they're completely different situations. But in terms of the injuries, the availability of your star core players, um, it's just a completely different reality given the age. And so uh, with Ka- I think it's incredibly encouraging that they're seeing Kawhi play at the level that he's playing at. And I agree with you that given certain matchups, they may be able to squeak it out to where you get Paul George back. And maybe, who knows, in a month, could be this conversation could be completely irrelevant and they could go on a roll. Um, but I think right now, as of today, you have serious concerns. There is a lot of pressure. Um, and sometimes, I mean, Kawhi could have this, like the playoff performance of his life, but if they're going up against mm-hmm. a loaded opponent and it, especially like the Phoenix matchup, that to me is, is not a good one. If you're without PG, um, that's very difficult. And then at that point, you know, what, what do you do? Yeah. Do you, do you continue to double down until it just, it has officially run its course or do you eventually blow it up? And I mean, today, right now it is difficult for me to see Steve Ballmer, at some point saying, okay, the injuries enough is enough. I'm blowing it up. And that's hard for me to see. So I, I, I still think I don't, a lot I don't of think he's that type. I don't think yeah. he is either. I think it would take a somebody leaving. And, and that is also something that I don't know that I necessarily see right now, but who knows if Kawhi's playing at a crazy level and he's like, I can't continue to, to just keep holding on to hope that we're all going to be healthy year after year. Right. I'm ready to win again. I mean, I think that there's potential for a real conversation to be had there, but who knows? That's why that's why there's pressure. That's why there's pressure. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I mean the Paul George injury now just adds uh this this hypothetical scenario. I feel like with the Clippers, it's constantly been this hypothetical of oh, if if Kawhi was healthy, then yes, of course they'd be a final team. Or oh, if Paul George was healthy, yes, of course they'd be a final team. Oh, if uh, if they have a point guard, they would be a championship contender. And honestly, we've been doing a lot of what ifs with the Clippers. At some point, those what ifs just end up catching up to you, and that's why there's tons of pressure right now. The other team I was going to mention, and I think this is interesting because of how young this team is. Um, that's the Denver Nuggets. I think the Nuggets have a really considerable amount of pressure on them this season to at the very least, at the very least prove that this right here, what they're building, their core, their nucleus with Murray and Porter Jr. and and Jokic and Gordon and KCP and all those guys, at the very least, that it can be a formidable playoff team. They've shown it in the regular season that they can do do great things. Jokic has shown it in the regular season. Murray has been an incredible playoff, you know, performer, but I just think there's a level of pressure for that team, especially its main star in Nikola Jokic, to prove, okay, I'm a, I'm a two-time MVP. I'm a guy who you can build around. I'm a guy who you can rely on in the playoffs. I'm a guy who won't be exposed defensively in the playoffs. I think these are the questions moving forward for Denver. Now, again, this conversation could look incredibly stupid in a month. <laughs> If they end up being a Western Conference Finals team, because if they do end up making the Western Conference Finals and let's say, you know, right now they would end up playing either the Suns or the Clippers in the second round. And I don't love their chances against either team. I'm not a big fan. To be fair, the Nuggets have had the Clippers card all year. (laughs) 
consistently. And you know what? Since the bubble, they've absolutely dominated that matchup. It's like a mental thing. I think the Nuggets would beat the Clippers. But the Phoenix Suns, I do not love that matchup for them. Don't like Mm -hmm. it one bit. It's a defensive nightmare for Nikola Jokic. So I just... If they end up losing to the Suns in the second round, a Suns team who is who has not had a lot of time to acclimate Kevin Durant, who doesn't have the bench and the the depth and the rotation that they will have next season, then I think if you're Denver, you're looking at yourself and saying, "Man, we had one of the best seasons in franchise history. Jokic was an MVP candidate again. He almost won three in a row. Murray looks great. Porter Jr. looks great, and we just lost to the Suns, who." on a whim traded for Kevin Durant and were pretty much, you know, it's, it's Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Deandre and Chris Paul, and then scraps, you know? And it's like, how do you reconcile that? How do you say, okay, we're going to just run it back and try it again because without, without having any feasible changes, I think looking at Michael Malone as a head coach and what kind of adjustments he makes, I think that's probably the change that would happen if they lose in the second round. So that's my questions with Denver. I think there is a certain amount of pressure for this team to perform and perform well in the playoffs. Yeah, I I agree with that, especially because when we talk about, I mean, we've had many conversations when even talking about the MVP race and just the dominant year that Jokic is having and, and how it's translated to this team success that they're having and just how dominant that they have been. Um, And so for all of those things to be true and then, playoffs come around and you're just not that not that dominant team anymore that this is it you know what i mean you're you have all the pieces in play if you can't get it done now i think there it's a very valid question to say are you ever going to be able to get it done with this formula because this seems to be the year you've got other teams that have very serious concerns whether it be phoenix quote-unquote not having a bench clippers not having paul george the mavs having no defense the warriors no wiggins like Every yeah. team has got some sort of big question mark. And so if you... What's your excuse? There's an, right. Exactly. There's no excuse, excuse anymore. And so yeah. I, I completely agree that there is a lot of pressure there. Um, and, and, and I think that we would both be... I don't want to speak for you, but I, I, I feel that we would both be on the same page that it's not a it's not pressure of, oh, Jokic is going to want out. It's, it's more no. of pressure of a significant roster overhaul in terms of like a Jamal Murray or even like a Michael Porter Jr. Like we've got to switch up the number two or even the number three Uh, because the, the piece of the Bruce Brown um, like the, the pieces in there are good. They even got some interesting young guys, Zeke, Najee, uh, Christian Brown, like they've got good guys. They just, it does. I don't know that they're going to get it done. I think that there's valid concerns there. So um, I'm curious to see what that looks like. Should that become their reality in the off season? Um, and who their targets might then be. I think that could be a really intriguing conversation. But again, they're another team that I do believe, as of right now, you have to have all the confidence in the world and your coach and your team um, yep. and just go from there. But they haven't, could, they haven't, yeah, they haven't, ins- absolutely. They haven't inspired much confidence in their play in March, to be fair. They've, they've kind of struggled here. And I think that's where some of these questions pop up where it's like, okay, so maybe is this the, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, people will mention this, but like, is this kind of like what the Utah Jazz were with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? And I'm not saying we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet. I think yeah. the Nuggets have proven that they are a better playoff team than that. I think they look. I mean, the the bubble run, what they've done, even without uh, the injuries and whatnot. I think there's more time. Obviously, their guys are super young too, so they they they're afforded that luxury. I just there's pressure. 
there is pressure there. I'm sorry, Nuggets fans. There is pressure at the end of the day for you guys to do well. And that happens when you have a two-time MVP, folks. It's sort of the same thing that, I mean, you can speak on this oh, yeah. very, very much. But, like, oh, yeah. look, Dirk Nowitzki, man. Dirk Nowitzki. Um, and there was always the conversation. It's like, can he do it in the playoffs? Can Dirk Nowitzki be the guy to lift a team? Can he be the number one guy on a championship team? Hmm, mm-hmm. Let's see. And then, you know, one year, 2011 happens, and, and all those questions are erased. Everything that anybody had ever questioned about Dirk vanishes just like that. I think that was probably one of the biggest uh, narrative-changing championship runs in NBA history. Because Dirk went from a guy who, yes, he's an MVP, great player, yada, 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 to, oh, he might be like the greatest shooter of all time and and like shooting big of all time. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he's going to be a top 20, top 25 player all time as well. You know, it, it kind of put him in the right place right. Of, of history with that championship. I think the same thing sort of applies to Nikola Jokic moving forward. Yeah. I don't know. I like we'll the see com- what happens. I like the comparison because when you look at Jokic in this roster, um, without going on a whole tangent, I think there are somewhat similarities with that Mavs roster with that Mavs roster in twenty eleven, just in terms of the less flashy players and having guys that yeah. fit their role well and, and are are utility guys that do what you need them to do to win playoff basketball and, and, and win the games that matter, even just the plays that matter. And so I think that there are some interesting similarities there and I mean, again, they from just a fan... need Tyson Chandler. They just <laughs> oh, need God. Tyson Doesn't Chandler. Everybody That's need... all they everybody need. Everybody needs Tyson Chandler. I swear to God. <laughs> Even um, the Mavericks right now could use Tyson Chandler. The Mavericks could use thirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It is. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, I think the I think the Jokic uh, storyline and the similarities there. I do think there's something there, and I I do hope for his sake that. If this is his year, I would be over the moon for him because he deserves It'd it. It'd be awesome. Yeah. They, I, they deserve it. Uh, but I have some serious doubts there. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It, it just feels like the top of the Western Conference is is so for the taking. And it's so weird. We talked about this last time at the playoffs where it's like maybe the bottom of the West is actually more talented right. than the top of the West. And now you're, crazy. you're left in this situation where it's like, okay, these teams proved it all year. But then we know on paper this these teams are probably more talented. How does that compare and how does that add up in the playoffs? Ladies and gentlemen, we will figure that out in the next couple of weeks. We'll figure that out in the next month or so. But we appreciate you guys tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast. As always, do the subscribing, do the rating if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or wherever. Thank you very much for the people who are listening and watching on YouTube to see our pretty faces. Um, And we appreciate you. Thank you so much. You guys have a good day. Lauren, I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.